Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson will take us through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. With the death and resurrection of Jesus as the backdrop, we see a word in Ephesians 2 that changes everything for us. One small word stands as the pivot point for our before and after, our then and now. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. I want to pick it up in John chapter 19, verse 28. Here Jesus is on the cross. He's been on the cross. He's about at the end of the experience of the cross. In verse 28, it says, Knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Verse 30 tells us that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Luke 23, 46 recounts it this way. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. So what we see here is the first indication that Jesus dies, that he is dead on the cross. Look in verse 31. It says, now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Here we see a confirmation a second indication that Jesus Christ is already dead. The soldiers confirmed the fact that Jesus was dead. And in crucifixion, there were typically two main ways that a person would die hanging on the cross. One was asphyxiation. They would just suffocate because they would have to lift themselves up to get their breath. And after a period of time, they would be so weak and so tired, they, they could no longer lift themselves up, and so they would suffocate. But the really strong ones could do that for hours and hours and hours. So to keep from prolonging the crucifixion, they would come and they would break the legs so they could no longer stand themselves up and they would suffocate. So they did this to the two other men, but Jesus was already dead. So they didn't have to break his leg. But instead, in verse 34, it says, instead of breaking the legs, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Now we see a third confirmation that Jesus is dead. Another cause of death is hypovolemic shock. And we, it, this is indicated in the life of Christ. One, when he's carrying the cross uh, to the crucifixion and he, and he falls. A second indicator is when he says, I'm thirsty, which is an indicator of that as well. And the third here is called pericardial effusion with waters around the heart system. So when they, when they stabbed him, the water and blood flowed. What that means is he was dead. That's three confirmations. Here's a fourth confirmation, verse 38. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. 
At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now here's a fourth and final confirmation that Jesus was dead. Joseph and Nicodemus come take the body and they begin to prepare the body. And Nicodemus brings 75 pounds of spices, which is a lot. So they cover him with the spice and then they cover him with the strips of linen, basically mummy style. So if Jesus were not dead at this point, he now would be dead. But we know he was dead because Joseph and Nicodemus, they loved Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. So if there were any sign of life whatsoever in Jesus, they would not have continued the burial ceremony. They would try to have revived him or taken him away or done something else with him. But we know that he was dead. These four confirmations. What is the point of me trying to say this? What is the point that I'm trying to make? I hope it's obvious. Jesus was dead. <laughs> Jesus died that day. And he was dead that day. He wasn't asleep. He didn't faint. He didn't go into a coma. He wasn't playing possum. He was dead. About 13 years ago, uh, we lived down the south part of town. And uh, we lived on a corner lot at our house. And our neighbor on the other corner across the street, uh, the man sold his company. And so he brought all of his equipment and he put it in his backyard, stayed there for a year or two. And at some point, he decided to sell some of his equipment. So he takes down part of his fence, and he sold about half of all that equipment in his yard. So now half of his yard is, vac is vacant. Well, evidently, there were a variety of mice and varmints and critters who had made their home underneath all that stuff. And now they're all evicted. So now they're out looking for other places to live. Well, evidently, one family of mice crossed the street. Why did the mice cross the road? Well, in this case, to come live at our house. So one Saturday morning, I'm in the living room just chilling on the couch. And from my periphery, I see something just dart underneath the couch. Moments later, it darts from the couch in behind the TV. And then it runs from the TV over to another piece of furniture. I say, okay, great, I've got to kill this mouse. I don't have any mouse killing equipment, so I went in the garage. I just got a broom. So I brought the broom in, and now I'm chasing this mouse all around the living room, trying to whack it when I can, and finally I'm able to whack it enough to daze it and stop it. So now I try to kill it. It's hard to kill a mouse with a broom, just for your information. So I just sit there, and I'm just pounding and pounding and pounding, and finally I kill it. So I scoop it up, and I go throw it in the dumpster. Well, it's about an hour or two later. Denise and I are in the kitchen. And we see another mouse just come darting across the kitchen underneath the kitchen cabinets. So I go back in the garage and get my killing room, bring it in. Now I'm chasing the mouse all through the kitchen. Well, luckily, he runs across open space. And so I'm able to do my little hockey slapstick imitation slap shot. And so I just, I just whip it and I hit it perfectly. It goes flying into the kitchen cabinets. Boom. Well, again, just to be sure it's dead. I'll beat it four or five times, just to be sure. I scoop it up, throw it in the dumpster. Well, that day, we killed five mice. The funny part of the story, though, is after several of those, Tyler and a friend come in back to the house. And so we are telling them what's going on. And Tyler likes that kind of stuff. So fortunately for him, while we're talking, another mouse comes running through the living room. 
Well, Tyler's fired up now, so he's the one that gets the ring. He starts chasing the mouse everywhere. And he whacks this mouse. It's in the living room. It's laying on the middle of the floor. And he's out, and he's just flat on his back like this, belly sticking up. He's just laid out like this. Well, Tyler decides he's going to mess with it a little bit. So he starts to act like he's going to give it CPR. So he gets down there and he starts doing all this little stuff. Then he decides he's going to give this mouse mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Or as we said, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. So he's down there. He didn't really touch the mouse, but he's way down there really low. I mean, inches from this mouse, just laid out like this. So while he's acting like he's giving mouth-to-mouth, that mouse opens his eyes. He jumps up and... And the expression on his face and the friends, it was, it was priceless. That mouse was playing possum. Wasn't really dead. Now, it died later, just for the record. But here's the point. Jesus wasn't playing possum. Jesus was dead. And this is critically important to believe and understand. Because if Jesus had not died, if Jesus was not dead, then our sins are not covered. He may have suffered for us out of love, and that's gracious, but it doesn't save us. If Jesus was not dead, he did not die for our sins, which means we are not covered from our sins. We are still under the power and the penalty of our sin. And... If Jesus did not die, if he was not dead that day, he did not resurrect. He may have become revived. He may have resuscitated. He may have gotten his second wind, but he did not resurrect. And if Jesus Christ did not resurrect, then death was not defeated. So without the death of Jesus Christ, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are still under the power and the penalty of sin, and we are still under the power of death. But thanks be to God, he died. And thanks be to God, he was resurrected. Luke 24, 5 and 6 said, The men, the angels, at the tomb, when the women came to finish the burial process, That the men said to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. So thanks be to God that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the penalty of our sin has been paid and the power over death has been won. It's a powerful song. Death was arrested and our life began. New life in Christ. Let's continue the story. Let me invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to make some application now based on the foundation that we laid with the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As that, as that, as the foundation, keeping that in mind, I want to make some application of what that really means to us, how that applies to us this morning. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. I want to talk about resurrection power. Let's pick it up here in verse 1. As for you, and this is plural. He's talking to the, the, the believers at Ephesus now, but this is plural. So, at, so, so, so as for all of you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, 
the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were natures, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Talk about resurrection power. The key verse here in this passage is verse 5. Where God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Remind us of what we talked about earlier. That Jesus died and he was resurrected. That's what John 19 talked about. Likewise, before Christ, we were dead. But we have been resurrected. We have been made alive in Christ Jesus. So our life, apart from Christ, when we are not in Christ, if we've not given our life to Christ, we're not simply unenlightened or unaware or wrong or bad or unrefined we are dead without Christ now in science biology there are some characteristics that they've defined that signify dead things in other words dead things cannot respond to stimuli dead things cannot use energy they do not grow they do not develop Dead things can't reproduce. They can't move. In other words, scientifically and biologically, there are obvious signs that something is dead. Well, what we see in this passage, that the same is true spiritually speaking. There are obvious signs when one is spiritually dead and not alive. And we see them here in the passage. The first one is we have no spiritual discernment. Look in verse 2. It says we followed the ways of the world and we followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now that word followed means to, to, to go along with, to keep with, to ascribe to, to, be, to, to accept. In other words, to live by them. In other words, what it's saying is we have made this decision to follow the ways of the world and we have no spiritual discernment that points us to the fact that following this way is dangerous, that it's harmful, that it's deadly, that it's not going to end well, that it's against you know, what, the way God would say we should live. There's no spiritual discernment there. In Matthew 12, we see a story where Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. And then the Pharisees react by saying Jesus did that by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. In other words, Satan did this through Jesus. Jesus responds, verse 31, and he says, So I tell you the truth, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, we don't have time to talk about everything that means. But at its core, at its foundation, it means 
attributing the things of God to Satan and vice versa. It's getting it mixed up. It's attributing what God's doing and giving credit to Satan and giving what Satan's doing credit to God and it's getting it all mixed up. In other words, what this is trying to say is being dead and without Christ spiritually, we, our moral compass has gone haywire. We don't have spiritual discernment of what's right and wrong. Because of that, it leads us to the second characteristic, and that is that there's no restraint. There's no self-control. We see that in verse 3. Sorry. In verse 3, it says that we were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. That word cravings means lusts or longings, but it most basically means the will. In other words, our sinful nature has a will of its own. It has a power of its own, and it creates these cravings that we cause us to want to gratify those cravings. It's kind of like that old saying, the flesh wants what the flesh wants. So if you see it, take it. If, you, if it feels good, do it. It's that kind of mentality. The result is when, when your spiritual compass is off kilter, when you don't have the spiritual discernment, now there's no restraint. There's no self-control. I'll do whatever I want to do because it doesn't matter anyway. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. So now there's, there's no restraint. So I just do whatever I want to do. But that leads to the third category, and that is no power. Verse 3 goes on to say, following its desires and thoughts. Now, the word following is different than the other word following. This means to practice, to, to perform, to do it. It's an, an ongoing term of action. It's the idea of I can't stop. In other words, these cravings and these desires, they have a will of its own, and they're trying to impose their will on us. And because I'm dead in my sin and transgression, I have no power to resist that desire. I can't stop doing what my sinful nature is craving me to do. So I gratify the desire because I have no power to stop. You're all familiar with the little puppets and the string and the little puppeteer. You know, it's got a little deal here and you're holding on. And so the puppeteer here is, is manipulating the puppet. And so he'll pull a certain string and the puppet lifts his leg and pull another string and throws his arm up and moves around and the puppet starts dancing. That puppet has absolutely no power to control the urges. He has no control over what he does and doesn't do. He's 100% under the power and control of the puppeteer. That's the word picture of this word and this concept. We have these, these cravings from our sinful nature and they have a will and a power, and we have no power over them. And our sinful desires are just saying, lift the leg, okay. Lift. And we just do whatever our sinful nature is craving us to do. And we satisfy the cravings because we have no power to resist. That leads to the fourth characteristic. And that is that we have no hope. Verse 3 finishes and says, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, this word object's interesting. It literally means child or children or offspring. <laughs> when I looked at that, I, it's a little confusing to me. I'm not real sure what that word and concept means. But I think it has something to do with original sin, and we are born in sin. Because of original sin, we're all born in sin. 
And because we're born in sin, we are by nature objects of God's wrath. Which means we're exposed to God's wrath. We are liable for God's wrath. Said this way, in this state, in this condition, we will experience the wrath of God. So this is a picture, characteristics of someone who is spiritually dead. But now look in verse 4. Because it sounds like hard news and bad news. Hey, thanks for a great affirming resurrection sermon this morning. (laughs) It gets good. Because look in verse 4. The word but. We were all dead in our sins. Every one of us. We weren't uninformed. We weren't just bad. We were dead. But. It's a word of transition. It's a word of transformation. It's the before and the after. It was the then, but it's the now. It's what used to be, but now it's what is. But, verse 5, he made us alive in Christ. And verse 6, he raised us up with Christ resurrection hallelujah for the resurrection we were dead in our sin just like jesus was dead and he resurrected and came to life we were dead in our sin but when we gave our life to christ he resurrected us and made us alive in jesus christ that's great news it's one thing to have the power to resurrect us We know he's got the power to resurrect us, to take something that's dead and make it alive. Go to creation. He created everything out of nothing. (laughs) If he has the power to take nothing and create everything, we know he has the power to take something that's dead and bring it to life. That's not the best part of the story. The best part is the story has the desire to resurrect us. That he chose to resurrect us. That he wanted to resurrect us. What's the catalyst for our resurrection? It's the desire of God to make us alive. And here in this passage, we see four characteristics of Jesus and his desire that causes this. And that's his love, his grace, his mercy, and his kindness. Because of God's love, because of God's mercy, because of God's grace, because of God's kindness, he chose He loved us. He chose to take us as dead men and raise us to life. God's love is that unconditional agape that we talk about. Undeserved, unmerited favor of God. God's mercy is not giving us what we deserve. God's grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Not only did he just not give us, do what he should have done but he's blessing us on top of that God's kindness is simply his goodness and the passage says this that he is rich in mercy and he is rich in grace it talks about the riches of God's grace to me it's a word picture of this bottomless treasure chest and in this bottomless treasure chest is all of God's grace all of his love all of his mercy all of his kindness 
And he just keeps pouring it out, pouring it out, pouring it out. And he, it, it never empties. It's like all you can eat catfish on Friday night. You just keep eating it, and you keep eating it, and you keep eating it. They keep bringing it out, keep bringing it out. But the funny thing about all you can eat is all you can eat is all you can eat. Right? I mean, that's all you can eat. And at some point, you've eaten all you can eat. But there's still a lot more fish coming out. But I can't eat that because I've eaten all I can eat. But I didn't use up all the fish. The same is true with God's love, mercy, grace, and kindness. He keeps pouring it out, and we receive all we can receive, but all we can receive is all we can receive. But even if after we've received all we can receive, he hasn't worn out his grace and his love and his mercy, and he's still pouring it out. He, he has more than we'll ever use. That's the word picture here. So we talked about the characteristics of being spiritually dead. But what does it mean to be spiritually alive? It's very easy in this passage. It means that we are experiencing God's love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness. We've come alive spiritually and we've experienced his goodness. We're no longer objects of wrath. But we're children of God when we give our life to Christ. I want to finish with this last concept. There is resurrection life, but there's also resurrection living. And resurrection life is that initial coming alive in Christ. It's that initial awakening. It's that initial moment when we say yes to Jesus Christ, when we acknowledge the, the reality that he died for us, that he loves us, that he's taken our place, and we say yes to him, come into my life and make me new. That's resurrection life, that instantaneous moment when we say yes to Jesus Christ, that we are no longer dead, but we are immediately made alive in Jesus Christ. That's resurrection life. But there's also resurrection living. Resurrection living is walking daily in that same love and grace and mercy and kindness. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The purpose of resurrection is life. The purpose that Jesus Christ was risen was for life, for him to live eternal. And the reason he has resurrected us is to experience life and all that that means. Zoe life. Life exactly the way God intended for us to, to live. Abundant life and eternal life. Resurrection life is about receiving life in Christ. But resurrection living is about realizing that I have life in Jesus Christ. Resurrection life changes our eternity. But resurrection living changes our today. So may we never be satisfied with simply resurrection life. As great as that is, may we continue to realize that we have resurrection living as well. And we can experience every day the love of God. The grace of God, the mercy of God, and the kindness of God. May we be grateful 
that though we were dead, he has made us alive. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To hear more messages or to learn more about River Fellowship, go to rfamorello.org. Thanks. Have a great week.